How are y'all this morning? Are you doing well? I know all the parents are in good mood because your kids are going back to school. <laughs> Jesus, my freedom is drawn near. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. When is the last time you rewarded yourself? Some of you are like, hmm, I think last year. No, I wanna tell you, you probably did it this morning. Probably when you got up this morning, you went to your pantry door, you opened it up and you looked inside and you said, what do I want? And you reached for the lucky charms because they're magically delicious and you decided to indulge. You rewarded your appetite for sugar. Some of you are like, okay, I'm scared. If she's already starting down that road, I know how she can go there. Or maybe you did one better. Maybe you picked up your phone and ordered Dunkin' Donuts delivered by DoorDash. D-D-D-D. <laughs> See, we, we have this natural inclination to try to satisfy or pacify our appetite. And, you know, there's nothing bad about rewarding yourself. I mean, reward is... In fact, you have a reward center in your brain. Did you know that? In 1954, this group of psychologists discovered it, and what they did is they had these lab rats, and they installed these electrodes in their brains. And during that time, what they did was they had a lever installed in the cage. And so what the rats discovered was that every time they hit this lever, that it stimulated this current into their little bitty rat brains, and it triggered the release of dopamine, which is the feel-good hormone. And so once they discovered this, man, these rats were hitting that thing like 2,000 times an hour. Those little rat brains... I mean, we're, we're wired that way. And, and, you know, Jesus created us this way. So I'm not saying there's, an, there's something wrong with, the, with rewards. In fact, Jesus talked about rewards. And I want us to, because we're still kind of in this whole Sermon on the Mount and diving into this as we have found that this is such an amazing chapter and so much richness. We've been in this for so long and extracting so much. And we're gonna do the same today. And so I just wanna invite you to just kind of settle in with me. All of those of you that are watching online, I'm so glad you joined us this morning. And we're about to do something because here's the thing, I don't ever want us to take the word of God for granted. This isn't just another piece of literature you're reading. Because Jesus said this. He said, my words are spirit and they are life, right? So this isn't just another, some nice stuff. So when we read it, he tells us to take heed how we hear it. So let's jump in to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to jump around a little bit within this chapter because I want you to see something that stands out as a pattern. So let's start in verse 1. He says, watch out. Do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And then we jump down to verse 4. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. 
I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, and then your father who sees everything will reward you. And then when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, take a shower, put on deodorant, brush your teeth. <laughs> Please do this whether you're fasting or not. <laughs> Wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. There's a common theme here. Do you see there's two things? One is that pride can enter in. Here can we, we can be about doing these great things, praying, giving generously, financially, fasting, and we can miss the whole point of it because we do it out of spiritual pride and lose our reward. And the other thing we notice is that we have a tendency to shortchange ourselves and settle for earthly rewards and not the reward of the Father. Now, understand something. When we say the Father wants to reward, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to wait until you get to heaven to get that reward. He's distinguishing between the way we reward ourselves and the way he wants to reward us, and his way is better. So, after all, he created us with this reward center, and so, Guess where we're going to go today, right in the middle of the summer? Guess what we're going to talk about? Fasting. <laughs> That's the expression I'm looking at right now. I see you back there pointing at your friend like, why'd you bring me this church today? <laughs> because you need to be here today. <laughs> this is good. I mean, hey. Jesus brought it up, not me, so your beef is with him, okay? Okay, I just said fasting and beef in the same sentence, my bad, okay? So I know even when I say that word, your flesh is rising up, your appetite is already like, your memory's like, hold up, I got ribs on the grill right now, smoking. Well, you can go home and eat those ribs. You're planning on going, you've got a filet marinating. You can go home and eat all of that. You can do that because the fast starts tomorrow. <laughs> so go for it. You know, here's the thing. Jesus wants us to see the reward of fasting today. And you might not have connected to those two things. I mean, look what he said to Abram when he, when he began the covenant with Abraham. And, you know, here's the thing I love about God. If he puts an adjective in there, he's going to live up to that adjective. And he said to Abraham, I want to be your exceeding great reward. And I think that he says the same thing to us today. So I know when I said fasting, all the arguments of your flesh came up. Like, you just ruined my summer, woman. But I want you to understand something. We can deal with those arguments because I know one of the arguments is, I can't fast, I can't go without meat. Well, 
what if I showed you this guy who goes without meat every single day? Look how buff he is. He's a vegetarian. Or what about this guy? He's pretty menacing, right? He's not weak. <laughs> you think you can't go without protein. Do you know how much protein you really need? Open up the palm of your hand. You see your palm? In an entire day, you just need what fits in that palm of your hand. We have this infatuation with protein. You need the word of God. Man shall not live by protein alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's what I know about you. Part of you wants to fast. Part of you does. And Jesus summed it up pretty well when he said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing to fast, but your flesh is weak. So when I say that to you, how does that land? Like what part of that sentence stands out and is weightier to you? Is it that your flesh is weak? But I want to remind you about your spirit. Because here's the thing we have to understand. Yes, our flesh is weak. What do I mean by that? That word weak means infirmed, as in it's not dependable. The appetites, the feelings and desires that we have on sort of that carnal part of us, are not dependable. The biggest, most important part of us is our spirit. And oftentimes what happens is we're busy tending to the flesh and not to the spirit. And we live in this world where Satan has set it up that the majority of the time he is capitalizing on the weakness of our desires. Look at the advertising world. This is what you want. You need this. He's trying to define for us what we need. And most of the time, you and I unknowingly, we're on autopilot. And the majority of the time, we're making important decisions based on the weakest, most undependable part of us, our flesh. But I want to tell you something. You and I, we are not Satan's lab rats. We don't need to settle for his lever of what he says is good. We don't. And so our spirit is willing, but our spirit is not leading. And so this is how we flip it through fasting so that we can become strong. Now, when Jesus made that statement to the disciples, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. It was because they had fallen asleep three times. He asked them to pray and they had fallen asleep. But just hours earlier, they were sitting at the table and they were saying, Jesus, we'll die for you. We'll go anywhere with you. We'll do anything you want us to do. And they meant it. They were very sincere. But when the temptation showed up, they were too weak to follow through. And how does that relate to us? How many times do we stand here in this sanctuary and say, Lord Jesus, I will make room for you. Your way is better. I surrender to you. Walk out the door and cuss out the parking lot guy. <laughs> Don't be cussing out our parking lot. They're putting their lives literally on the line for you to find your spot. Yeah. 
that flesh rising up, agitated, agitated, because after all, this world is here to serve me, right? We, we need to strengthen our spirit. It's true of all of us. We have weaknesses. We have bad habits, and some of those habits are innocuous, you know, but some of those bad habits are pretty serious, and what happens is if, they're undef if we don't deal with them, they turn into strongholds, and then they become things we can't live without. And I know what that feels like, too, because I, I smoked when I was younger, and I couldn't imagine my life without a cigarette. That cigarette was a stronghold, even though I knew it was destroying my life. But by the grace of God, he helped me break the stronghold of smoking, and he can do the same thing for you, too, or whatever it is, whatever that addiction is. God is greater than your addiction. There's just a thing that you're going to have to do to avail yourself to the power that he has for you. He doesn't want you to be a prisoner. But guess what? You're going to have to use his exit plan and not your own because yours is not weak, working because your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. And what I love about fasting is it brings our spirit to the forefront where it should be and helps us and positions us to overcome and gird up the weakness of our flesh so that we can break free from whatever is controlling us. And I'm telling you what, when those chains drop to the ground, it is a good day. It's a good day. So what would change about our lives if our spirit was leading? And what's it going to take to get us to that place? Fasting. Because fasting is a great reset. Okay? But we just have to make a decision right now. Which do I want? Which reward do I prefer? Long-term or short-term? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's a, and and that, that word is actually be being satisfied. It's, it's a continuation of it. I, I, I think he wants us to understand his word, the bread of life, will give you more satisfaction than any carbs you will ever eat. He goes on in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 8, the goal in life is not to pacify our flesh, but to purify our hearts. Fasting helps you to purify your heart, your physical body, your mind, your soul. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to 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 see God. Now. I want to see God now. How about you? When Daniel fasted, he fasted for 21 days because he wanted to see God. He needed some answers. And it says in Daniel chapter 10, I ate no rich food, nor did I eat meat or wine. None of that entered my mouth. And I didn't anoint myself with oil until the end of three weeks. He chose what we call the Daniel fast. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, what is fasting? Well, we're going to just pop up a graphic here that I want you to go ahead and take a photo of. And later on, 
I want you to go on the website and you can look on, or we have all kinds of stuff on there about options for fasting. Because I don't wanna take the time today to tell you how to fast. I wanna take the time to show you the rewards of fasting. And so you can get all of this information and keep it and, and use it to sustain you. But what I wanna talk to you about is what you can expect, the reward that you can expect when you fast. I wanna talk to you like Jesus did. When you fast, this is what you can expect. Number one, it will develop your character. You know, I don't know about you, but the, the times when I get most disappointed in myself is when I fail a character test. You know, when there's something that happens during the day, maybe an encounter with an individual, somebody does, they're rude, I don't know, whatever, and, and I don't act loving, or I say something to my husband, just being curt and short with him and dishonoring, that's when I get most disappointed in myself because I feel like I failed the character test. I don't like failing tests. And here's the thing I know about characters. We can't have an altar call and have everybody come up here and lay hands on you and impart character. That's not the way it happens. Character is always formed under pressure, like a diamond. It's always formed when it's tough. It's, it shows you what's on the inside of you. And so it's important. But here's the thing. You can develop your character through fasting. God doesn't ever tempt us, but he does test us. Why? Because honestly, he wants us to see our humanity and our weakness. He doesn't want us to be foolish and full of ourselves. He wants us to learn to trust him, like really trust him. And he wants to develop our character so that he can prepare us for his power. And in order for this to happen, we all have to be tested. We're about to go back to school. You can't walk up into some university and say, I'm here, y'all. I'm ready. No, because you're going to have to show your SAT scores. You're going to have to show some things. There's going to have to be some proof of testing. You and your cute little face is not going to do it. <laughs> so the universities are looking for students who are of high caliber. That's who they want. So you and I can wait for the testing of time, or we can go through this test of fasting. And Jesus did it. Look at Luke chapter 4. This is a big chapter because this is where he launches his ministry. But let's pay attention to what happened and what he did. In verse 1, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Hold up right there. Oftentimes when we read that, we read Jesus fasted for 40 days. And we miss the fact that Jesus was tempted for over a month every single day by the devil himself. 
every single day he was in his face. We only see three of the temptations. I mean, that's pretty amazing. How do you survive that? How do you survive that? And in those days, he ate nothing, and afterward, when it had ended, he was hungry. And those three temptations we see, the first one about turning the stone, the bread, the stone into bread, he was enticing him to be self-sufficient. And the second one was to worship him, which he could have because all authority had been given over to Satan. And to worship him, to look upon him. And the enemy today tries to get us to look upon things and covet them, to have sexual lust, jealousy, envy, all of those things. And then there's the, the last temptation that we see of the three was him on the pinnacle and saying, throw yourself down and just watch God Watch God come to your battle. You see, what happened was Jesus was putting, testing his character. Would he rely upon God to provide for him? Would he only worship the Father and not, not popularity? Would he not be all into vanity metrics of his Instagram account or his Threads account? Would he not misuse his authority for any reason? And as Jesus was tempted, every single time the enemy came to him, what did Jesus say? It is written. You know, I hear people complain about how the devil tempts them. But here's the way we need to think about this. Do you understand that the, that the enemy actually did Jesus a favor? Because every time he tempted Jesus, Jesus came with the same answer. It is written. And he spoke the word. He didn't just read it. He didn't just think it. He spoke it. And every time he did this, it became more a part of him. And he had revelation of who he was. Because every time the devil tempted him, he got to speak the word. The enemy knows your weakness. The question is, do you know your weakness? Are you real with yourself about your weakness? We all have them. I have them. I can be very impatient. Am I the only one in the room? I mean, I can be impatient. And what is that at the end of the day? What am I? Some little princess? Everybody's supposed to get out of my way on 85 because I have somewhere to go. People see things to do. That would be nice. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> no. Here's what we need. Is we need to know what is written for our weakness. What is written in the word of God that you can learn and that you can meditate on. That you can speak out of your spirit so that your spirit is leading even though your flesh is weak. You see, it doesn't matter how weak your flesh is if your spirit is buff. His word becomes life to you. The testing of his character, it comes before a promotion. 
That's why the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to fast. Because he began to understand what causes us to fulfill our purpose is the power that comes through submission. You know, Dennis and I were talking about this just this morning, in fact. You, and many of you might not know the story of how this all started. By two clueless Bible school students who felt like we were supposed to come to Atlanta and start a church. It's all we had. We didn't know where. We had absolutely no idea. And here we are, two little Bible school students with no money, no nothing, no name, no relationships, and we came to Atlanta. And honestly, our first inclination, our first thinking was that we were supposed to go to a place that was like an hour south of here because we knew some people there. That was our first inclination. But we, we just, we thought, this is way too big of a decision. So we fasted and prayed. And we started just driving around the city. And I'll never forget it. One day we're driving up 85 right there at Spaghetti Junction. And all of a sudden, God spoke to both of us separately and said, this is where I want you to plant. This is where I want you to be. We didn't even know where we were. We're like, where are we? And then we saw the water tower. It said, Gwinnett is great. And we thought, we're in Gwinnett, <laughs> wherever that means. So we had to go back to Oklahoma. We took a, a map of Gwinnett County and continued fasting and praying. And, and I took a little star that I used for my daughter. And I prayed and I felt an inclination to put it on the map. And do you know where I put that star is about five miles from here in all of Gwinnett County. But see, we had to understand submission before we could experience success. The same thing is true for you. Because what happens is when you put yourself in a position where you are so utterly dependent upon him for even your sustenance, he doesn't disappoint. And what happens in that is you begin to see, I didn't physically see a picture. I didn't have a vision of this right now. I didn't have a vision of five campuses. But what I had was this assurance that God was going to deliver on his promise. That if he called us here, he would do a great thing. Whatever that great thing was, I didn't need the definition because my daddy had it. My daddy had the picture and I had my daddy. Some of you are supposed to launch businesses, ministries, and you're waiting for things to fall in line. But I, I want you to understand, when we started this church, we had no money. Somebody just gave us some chairs. That I don't even know how we ended up getting in contact with them. Our, our beginnings were very humble. <laughs> and he says, don't despise those. What you need to do is do like Jesus did, fast and pray. Because he came out of that desert and he knew who he was. And he knew what he was called to do because the next words out of his mouth were, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to heal the sick. 
He knew what he was called to do. Some of you that are looking for clarity on what you're called to do, you're fasting before him. Put yourself in a position where you are utterly dependent upon him and he will reward you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This is what he wants of us to get to this place. (laughs) You know... Jesus learned interdependence. A lot of us start out with self-reliance, but fasting will help to awaken the interdependence on the inside. When you fast, it will develop your faith. Now I want to take you to a passage where there's a group of people. Jesus is coming into the city and they, they run towards him. And this one man, a father, is pleading with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I have my little boy, my son. And, and he has this demon on the inside of them. And he has seizures. And sometimes it throws him into the fire. Sometimes it throws him into the water. And I asked your disciples to cast him out. And they couldn't do it. So please help my unbelief. And so Jesus comes And the disciples also ask him, why couldn't we do it? And then he says the same thing. Let's pick this up in Matthew 17, where he says in verse 20, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have, he says this weird statement. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So let's unpack this because I know this is kind of like, wow, that is like, that's some major statements he made there. So the way we're going to get clarity on this is, first of all, we're going to step into the disciples' shoes. Because I want you to understand that just a few chapters earlier, Jesus had deputized them. He had commissioned them. He, He had said, you know what? You go cast out demons. You go heal the sick. You go in my name. The power you carry, he gave them his authority, his anointing to go do it. And so we know this father came to the disciples. And we know at first they tried, but something happened along the way that they gave up. Now, maybe it was because as they're praying over this boy, he's thrashing about, and they're not seeing any change yet. And they're watching this thing that looks like it's more powerful than the anointing that's upon their lives. And they're watching this boy, and it didn't seem to look like it was working. And so they stopped. They gave up. What's interesting is that when you see the scripture, and it talks about Jesus casting it out, it said it came out in that same hour. It didn't come out immediately for Jesus either. So here you have the disciples have the same anointing as Jesus, and you have Jesus seeing the same thing the disciples saw, but a different outcome. And why is that? Because Jesus had resolve. He had resolve. You see, just because something doesn't happen right away doesn't mean it's not working. I want you to now step into the Father's shoes. In a conversation that Jesus had with the father in Mark's account, Jesus asked how long this has been going on, and we can tell since he was a child. So that means he's not a child anymore. I don't know how old he was, 
but this is what I know. This thing would throw him into the fire. I know that in the house, they always had a fire going because they were cooking their food. It would throw him into the water. And they, they were living in an area around rivers and lakes. And so that means that there were times they had to keep their eyes on this child. Because at any moment, this demon could literally throw this child into the fire. Which means he probably had third degree burns on his body from this happening. It means also that he would be thrown into the water where he could possibly drown. And so this father, this family is watching this. They had to be on guard every minute of the day because they never knew when this thing was going to strike their son. How exhausting, how exhausting that must have been. How helpless he must have felt. You see, this demon just wasn't torturing the boy. He was torturing the entire family. And you and I, let's, let's bring this home to our own lives. I'm looking at this world. I'm looking at our children and their future, and I'm concerned, as every parent should be. They're going to go back to school. What are they going to walk into? We don't know if we can trust the teachers, what they're going to say. All this stuff about gender confusion, it feels so unstable and so uncertain. But I want you to know something. God doesn't want you to feel helpless. He wants you to know his power. And so he tells us, you know, it's your faith. It's not the size of your faith. It's the consistency and the strength of your faith. It is your resolve. That's what causes mountains to move and demons to leave. And then when we get committed to the word of God that way, then we have a different level of authority and a different experience. And it also tells us, Jesus said, you know, you're going to deal with some complications. You're going to deal with some strongholds. You're going to deal with some family issues. That it's going to take fasting to get you to be in the place where you really trust in the power of God. That when you say it, it will happen. That's where we need to be. And so, hey, if that's the case, then why should we wait for trouble to show up? Why don't we fast and pray for our kids before the trouble hits the door? Why don't we fast and pray for their future? Why don't we declare the word of the Lord over them? Parents, you need to be declaring the word of the Lord over your children every single day. And you need to teach them to confess the word of the Lord, who they are. So that then when they walk out, they're not confused about their identity. They know they're a child of God. They know that they've been bought and purchased by the precious lamb. And they're not subject. And they're ready for the tempter when the tempter shows up. Because he will. He will. He will. You and I. We don't know what's around the corner. I can remember when my granddaughter Audrey was born. When she was born, she had this condition. In fact, she wasn't breathing when she was born. And they had this team of doctors and, and attendants ready, like 30 people, and whisked her off and put all of these, uh, hooked up all, and she was in the ICU in Denver. 
They had her hooked up to so many machines and tubes coming in and out of her body. And what they were telling us was that the chance of her living was very slim. I don't know if they have a photo ready to put up, but there she is. All of these tubes in her body. And we were fasting and praying. Because this is what we knew. When we walked into that room to meet our granddaughter, we had to have resolve. We had to believe that the word of God was true. We had to believe that the promise was this child was a gift and given to us. And she had a calling on her life and she had a purpose. And she was going to fulfill it. Let me tell you something. In the times of your greatest struggle, in the times of your greatest temptation, it's not the strength of your flesh that's going to see you through. It's the strength of your spirit. It is. And so we walked into that room and we, we celebrated her. Yeah, we saw tubes. We saw things. The disciples saw things. The fathers saw things. Jesus saw those things. But we saw her whole. We saw her healed. And that's exactly, this little girl is as vibrant today as anyone, and she is just the sweetest thing. She is going to fulfill her destiny. But I'm telling you, it was the fasting that put us to our knees, that filled us with his spirit. Fasting is about purifying and laying things aside. Because here's what we find, is that a lot of us are spending our days just kind of going through the motions, you know, skimming around on the surface. But Jesus wants us to discover that his strength is here and available for us to deal with whatever strongholds are in our own life it's a fight. Fasting is a fire starter. You want to ignite a fire? <laughs> so let me ask you a question at this point. Is it worth giving up a few meals to become on fire? <laughs> is it? Because we're talking about a five-day fast. A five-day fast. You can do it. The third thing, when you fast, it's going to deepen your passion. In the book of Revelations, in the second chapter, Jesus is talking to the church, this particular church, and he says, you know what? You're doing all the right things, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love, and you need to return to your first love. I think we easily drift because of the distractions of this world. So I'm not here to condemn you. And I understand something. I'm, you know, I'm talking to you about a message that is not one of those things that, I'm not appealing to your flesh in this message. I'm talking to your spirit. So it's okay that you're quiet and you're thinking because I want to awaken the best part of you. That's your spirit, man. I want to awaken the strongest part of you. But I also want to wake up that part of you that might be neglected. It's time to wake up our spirit. It's time to wake up the lion on the inside of you. 
there is a lion on the inside of you. And we can be doing all the right things, but we left our first love. I'll give you an example. As I was fasting not too long ago, the Lord started to reveal to me that I was holding something against him. I had had some pretty big disappointment happen in my life. It was, it was a struggle, a time of struggle. And I didn't realize it, but I was holding God responsible. Like, how could you let this happen to me? And it wasn't until I was fasting that I realized that I had that attitude towards him. And I had sort of created a, a little bit of a separation from him. The one who loves me the most, the one who loves me the most perfectly. And it wasn't until I was fasting that he showed it to me and I was like, you know what, Lord, you're right. I didn't even realize it. And so I talked to him about it and I said, you're right, I did. I repented and sealed that again, that relationship with him. Whatever's in the way of your relationship that's causing you to go in the other direction, it's time to return to your first love. Do you remember how you were when you first got saved? Do you remember that? I bet you do. I can remember, and it was like 35 years ago, <laughs> more than that. My husband prayed with me to receive Jesus, and I remember we were walking around the streets of Richmond, and I'm, I'm walking down the street going, Jesus, you're so awesome. Now, I don't, expect, I don't necessarily suggest you be a crazy woman like me, but I just... I knew what I had been saved from. I was so in love with him. I was so grateful for what I had. Return to your first love. Return to your first love because he is a jealous God. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You know, the thing is that fasting creates this distance between ourselves and the things that take our time, our affection, and our attention. In fact, I want you to consider fasting entertainment because entertainment is about appealing to your appetite. So can you turn your curiosity for what's on Instagram to Jesus? You know, once in a time of prayer, the Lord told me about this game that I had on my phone. This game had three things that was like, to me, the trifecta. First of all, it had words. I love words. Second of all, it involved strategy. I love strategy. And third of all, it was competitive. I was sucked in. <laughs> and what I didn't realize was how often I played this game. I was at the super high level because I had played this game so much. And the Lord said to me, Colleen, you know that game on your phone? He said, you know, that's just giving you a false sense of accomplishment. I love it when Jesus just tells it straight. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. He doesn't dance around with me. He just goes, girlfriend, this. And I, I immediately pulled out my phone and I dumped it. Did he tell me to dump it? No, but here's what I've learned. If Jesus just 
puts his finger on something a little teeny bit, get rid of it. I, I don't miss it at all. I don't miss it at all. So consider doing what's necessary to return to your first love. All of those desires, all of those cravings. Remember that lab rat experiment? I'm tired of the enemy treating us like lab rats with his little lever hanging out there to tempt us. When God is our exceedingly great reward, he is. And we all need to discover that. So what are you longing for more than anything? I wanna, I want us to see what David penned because Man, David did a lot of fasting, and I wonder how many of the Psalms came from a place of brokenness or fasting. And look at this in Psalm 84. I think it just kind of sums up where we want to be. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints. There's going to be some weakness that you experience when you fast. It's physical weakness. But my soul... and faints for the courts of the Lord. This is what I want. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You see, when you fast, even your flesh can come to the place where it wants God. He says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And I want you to know that God's grace is here to strengthen you through the fast. It really will. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We're going somewhere. We have a journey. We have an intended destination. And that is closer and closer and closer to who, who he is. They go from strength to strength, not weakness to weakness. Each one appears before God in Zion. And then look at this. Oh God, behold our shield. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. You see, when you confess this scripture, especially if you're fasting, what it awakens in you is the Spirit's desire that I'd rather be with you in your presence, God, than anywhere else. All the choices that I have, I choose you because you chose me. You chose me as a sinner. And I choose you as my beloved Savior. I choose you above everything else, above all of the temptations of this world. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. We're not fasting to say, hey, God, look at me. See what I'm doing? We're fasting so we can look at him. The pure in heart see him. We're fasting so we can look like him because he wants to be our exceeding great reward. Fasting is this time of clarity and purification. I was walking by this lake, this beautiful, clear lake, and I looked up and the lake was still. The water was perfectly still. And I looked at it, and here all of the trees that surrounded the lake 
were perfectly reflected in the water. And it was hard to distinguish between what was three-dimensional and what was a reflection. And I thought, that's it. See, you and I, he wants us to arise and shine so that his glory, that he, we can be this reflection of him. And he's the one that's doing it as we purify our hearts before him, as we fast to know him, to trust him, as we change our desire for natural things to spiritual things. As we do that, he's our great reward. And to this world, we become this reflection of him. You, he wants his glory to descend upon you so that you and I can reflect our great God, our loving Father, and allow him to be our exceeding great reward. Amen. Sound good? How many of you are in? Oh, look. Some of you are raising both hands. I like that. You're like, I'm not in. I'm all in, baby. That's awesome. I want us to be reflective just for a moment because I want to honor those of you in the room that haven't yet committed to this relationship with him. You don't understand the whole idea of Jesus being your master and your Lord and your savior because you've been very independent. I was that same way until I met this love that could not be denied. And right now is your moment and I don't, I don't want you to just pass it by. This is an important moment. It's a pivotal moment for you. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes because some of us in this room need to return to our first love, but some of us need to come to him for the very first time. So if you would, just pray with me and commit yourself to him. Let's say this, Heavenly Father, we realize we are standing before, sitting before a living God. And we recognize that you are perfect in all of your ways. And we admit that we have sinned against you. Lord Jesus, we need you. We confess our sin to you. We ask you to cleanse us from all, uh, all things that need to go from our lives, all sin, and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will become quickened and born again. And from this day forward, we will submit to you and follow the counsel of your word all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Would you stand to your feet and as we just welcome and appreciate all of those who just made that decision. All right, y'all. Tonight, thirst, what a way to kick off the fast. Hope to see you here. They're gonna put a graphic up that has all the information you need to know about fasting in just a minute. And I want you to make sure you get that QR code because maybe this is your first time. And I wanna say, God bless you, I love you.